Well, good to be with you this morning and continuing uh, picking up where we're in a couple weeks back working through the book of uh, Philippians. And hopefully if you didn't get a chance to hear the first couple, you can pick up online and hear those in your own on your own time. Uh, this morning working through verses 19 through 30 of chapter 1. If you wouldn't mind starting to turn there in your own Bibles or if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the chair in front of you. It's a lot easier to look at this together though. Talking this morning about faithfulness, but it got me thinking about uh, one of the things that I've experienced as a dad. I have a, uh, I'm a parent, my wife and I are parents of a third grader, a fourth grader, and a fifth grader over at Willow Elementary, which is right down the road from here. And what I've noticed, though, is Willow Elementary kind of does the same program each year with a particular age. And so every single year, I go and hear a different one of my children sing kind of the same exact songs and do the same program, and I have to look excited about being there. Uh, but, but one of the songs that they sing is they sing this song, and I'm not sure the title of it. I was trying to find it online. It was basically the big idea. It's probably titled, I Can Be Anything. Have you heard this song, Any Willow Parents? And they sing about all the things that they can grow up and become, and it's, it's very exciting. And, and then I, I got thinking, and I don't know if any of you do this uh, in your own time, but I started listening to the, the, the song, and I was like, you know, I don't think that's true. I, 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 don't, I don't think we can be anything. I think there's a word that they're missing, and it's the word aptitude. Aptitude. Uh, you know, so, some people, as much as I wanted to be the next Michael Jordan, it wasn't a few more hours that I needed to spend in the gym. It wasn't a few more shooting practices. It wasn't, that wasn't going to happen because he's clearly genetically superior than I am. Like, the, I'm, fo- I, I'm not just follically challenged. I'm, I'm horizontally, ch- or what's the right word, word there, vertically challenged. Uh, the, like, I, I, I have bad knees. I can't jump very well. I'm especially slow. Thank you, Dad. Uh, but, but, but all of these things, you start to think about that promise that you can be anything, and you start to think about it, and you're like, well, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Aren't you glad you came to church this Sunday? But what is true, and this is true both in uh, the, the secular world as well as with believers, is that the one thing that is within our control, the one thing that we can bring to the table, is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Faithfulness is something that's within our control. If we can decide whether we show up, we're there, we're putting in the work, we determine faithfulness. We can't necessarily determine always outcome, but we can have an influence on faithfulness. That's attainable. So we might not be the most talented, we might not be the the coolest, but we can be the most faithful. And that's what God has invited us to be. In fact, if you peruse through Scripture and look at the different people that God's chosen to elevate and do amazing things through, it's not usually because of qualities that they have. It's usually attached to that single word, faithfulness, faithfulness. And so I would propose that we wouldn't belittle the things that God has called us to, the things that he's wired us up for. We just keep on going and finding joy in our faithfulness. That's what I've titled this message this morning because that's what I think Paul is showing us a picture of. And when we are faithful, we start to see things differently. Our attitude and perspective changes based on our faithfulness. That's what we're going to look at this morning. But let me start with a word of prayer. God, thank you for this 
text this morning that gives us a picture of what someone who is faithful looks like, what we're invited to ourselves. And I pray that that would be a word that marks each one of us, that marks us not just individually, but collectively as a church, we'd be known as being faithful. God, I pray that you teach us through this text, that you'd stretch even our understanding of faithfulness and all that comes on the other side of it. We invite you now to speak to us directly. Pray that you'd remove any distractions from our week and our mind, God, that we'd really be able to engage in your word this morning. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. So basically talking through some different ways this morning that when you're faithful, and we'll finish the statement, you start to see things differently. You start to act differently. The first thing that I want to point out in verse 19 is when you're faithful, you realize things will turn out. Take a look here in verse, actually starting in 18b. It's kind of weird how it does that, but it starts the statement. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. I don't know if anybody is like me and grew up really looking forward to Saturday morning cartoons. Did anybody else get up especially early Saturdays? This is pre-TiVo. This was before you, you had cartoons on 24 hours a day. There were specific times that cartoons were on. Anybody remember that day and age? And Saturday morning was key. If you miss Saturday morning, your, your, your cartoon fill was likely not going to be fulfilled. One of, my, one of my favorite cartoons that I looked forward to, does anybody remember Tom and Jerry? Man, love Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry was great entertainment. Why was it so fun? The reason it was so fun, I would propose, is because it was a guarantee that Jerry was always going to win. It was always going to turn out for, for Jerry, kind of like the Roadrunner, too. The same idea, like, like he was going to make it. He always won. Do you guys watch this show? Like, Tom, what a frustrating existence. Trying to oppose Jerry, like fail after fail after fail. And so when you're watching this show, you didn't question whether or not Jerry was going to make it. You just wondered how this time he was going to be delivered, right? That was the adventure of the show. Well, how is he going to make Tom look like an idiot this time? Like, and really, isn't that what Paul's saying here? He's saying, listen, yes, I'll rejoice. This is coming from a man that's chained, remember, chained to a Roman guard in a Roman prison, likely headed to a death sentence. You're like, huh, what does he say? This is a faithful man. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. In other words, saying, it's going to work out. It's going to work out. So many people are afraid of the uncertainty of the future, but if you have Jesus Christ, if you've embraced him as your Lord and Savior, your future is not uncertain. Your future is actually is certain. We know that we're, what, what's on the other end of this. And so he points out, man, I will rejoice because this turns out, in other words, one way or another, deliverance is coming. He points clearly to the, the reason for that or the source of his confidence. I thought it's interesting. The prayer of others, even Paul, our, our hero of the faith, was like, man, I'm, I'm still dependent on, on prayer that I won't, that I won't fail, that I'll, I won't be ashamed, that I'll, I'll keep courageous. Like it, it's cool to think of Paul praying for courage because he's really the picture of courage we typically look to 
But here he's saying, the reason I have that is because I have people lifting me up in prayer. My favorite things about our care journals that we pass off is how many times somebody writing down their request isn't necessarily praying for themselves. Time and time again, I'm reading through them and they're praying for this person and this person, this son, this daughter, this granddaughter, this friend, all of these things. Man, that's what the community, the body of Christ is invited to do and for us to not lean on our own strength. He recognizes too, it's not a self-help thing. He's saying, listen, my, the source of power that allows me to be, remain faithful is the Holy Spirit working inside of me. He understood this as somebody who is faithful. So first thing, you realize things will turn out. Next thing, verse 20, you conclude life is a no-lose situation. It says this, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Notice here in this little section what Paul expects and hopes will happen. He expects and hopes that Christ will be honored in his body. That Christ will be honored in his body. That fear and shame would not get in the way that Christ would be honored in his body. The cool thing if you think about that for a moment, when the sole aim of your life is to honor Christ, then your circumstances are irrelevant. When your sole aim of your life is to honor Christ, then your circumstances are irrelevant. Because you're like, you know what? In the good times, that's easy. I can honor Christ. I can celebrate Him for His faithfulness and His provision. That's easy. But listen, even in the bad times, you can celebrate Him. Put the spotlight on Him for His faithfulness. The way you've sensed His presence his provision of maybe pulling you out of things, his track record of faithfulness. You see, every opportunity in life, everything that happens to us, regardless of our circumstances, is an opportunity to honor God in our body, to honor him with our body. I like that he uses body because that's kind of an all-inclusive thing. That's like every part of me. You think about that as a, even a, a healthy inventory to take for a moment. Just wrestling through, how am I doing with honoring Christ with my body, with my eyes, the things that I'm seeing, the things that I allow to come through the, the, these eyes? Are, am I honoring Him with that, with, with my ears, the things that I, I choose to listen to, the, the, the sounds, the, the music, the conversations? Am I honoring Him with my, the things I'm listening to, with my mouth? Think, keep going through that inventory, the things I speak, the things I, I choose to run to in conversations, the, the complaints that come out. You see, our body has the potential to either honor or bring shame to Christ. My feet, the places that my day takes me, the, the, the priorities that I have, the things that get my attention. You see, our, our bodies, it's not just a, a mind thing. Our bodies are the physical way that we honor Christ. We also learn in that section a little bit more about what Paul means about deliverance. Look at the end there. He says, by life or by death. Isn't that a, a, a unique twist on deliverance? To think of being delivered, you usually think of being rescued out of a circumstance. But what if we have a misunderstanding of deliverance? What if deliverance doesn't mean that God will remove us always from bad circumstances. 
I think there's a lot of confusion about this in the Christian world. People are just like, get, get disappointed and disillusioned with God because they're like, but He promised to deliver me. Why am I still in this crummy situation? But let's be, let's be clear here. Let's be careful not to cling to the wrong promises. He promises to be with us in our crummy situations. But on this side of heaven, there's no guarantee that He's going to take us out of bad circumstances. You think about that for a moment. This last week, uh, we got back from a, a wedding in Chicago and we're reunited with our little dog. I told the story of Bailey a little while back in the bad haircut she got. Do you guys remember this? Uh, th- that was my own doing with the clippers that went terribly wrong. Uh, but, but Bailey, one thing that happened after her bad haircut is in our little backyard in our townhome is she can now, because she's so skinny, squeeze through the fence. So I'm like, are you kidding me? So I'm saving money, but I'm also uh, in fear of our dog getting away, which would cost me more money. And so, and so here's the thing. So on, I think it was Tuesday this week, our little dog goes missing. Chris was there. We start pan- panicking. and started. So we start fanning out in our little townhome community. Well, the kids go in one direction. I'm going in the other direction. And, and I was kind of holding down the fort because I kind of thought that she would come back. That's kind of what she does. But anyway, so I'm standing there, and Sienna, my youngest, comes up, and she's like in an all-out panic. Like, she's crying. Like, she's, she's like, man, we've, we've lost her. She's nowhere around. And she goes, I even prayed, and God didn't answer my prayer. And I was like, honey, let me teach you the theology of suffering. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> I didn't do that. But, but I did comfort her and encourage her, and I said, wait to see how this plays out before you come to any conclusions. Guess where that dumb dog was? Was upstairs sleeping in my bedroom while we're around the whole neighborhood looking for her. So she's okay, good news. And, uh, and her fur's grown out since that picture. But anyway, this is, the, this is the idea. A lot of times we look at a little kid and you kind of say, oh, that's silly, you, you, misunderstand, you misunderstood God and all of that. But really, if we're honest with ourselves, that's the same thinking we can slip into. Same misunderstanding about our circumstances. Like, why? God, you must not love me. You must, you're, you're not keeping your promises to me. You, you failed me. You abandoned me. And God's like, no, we're not on the side. You're, you're, you're currently behind enemy lines. You're not on the side of where everything's going to be good and rosy yet. Paul understood that when my goal and aim is to glorify Christ, it doesn't matter what happens on this side of life. It doesn't matter. He saw the bigger picture that we're in a no-lose scenario because we know what's on the other side. This is, this is the, we're guaranteed, we're not guaranteed of rescue and healing on this side of heaven, but man, on the other side of this life, things get really good. Do you think after 5,000 years in eternity, somebody strikes up a conversation and says to you, hey, John, hey, Mary, what, what, do you, what were the worst things that happened in your life on earth? What do you think your response is going to be? I have no idea. I don't remember. That was a really long time ago. I have no idea. It, was, it, was, it pales in comparison to how good things are now. That's an appropriate perspective of somebody that's walking a faithful life in Christ. They keep their eye on the prize, the bigger, greater picture. You start to see death not something you fear, but actually even something where you gain. Look verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, 
and to die is gain. Huh. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall what yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Interesting little section of scripture there, if you think about it. I don't know if you've had a, a season in your life where you've had a, a difficult decision where you literally took a piece of paper, drew a line down the center, labeled one half pros, one half cons. You guys ever make a pro and cons list for a tough decision? Like I, I, I remember one of the, the times that I did this, probably not the best time to do that. I was dating a girl before Adrian. Man, we were just, was just kind of wrestling. I just wasn't convinced of things. And so I literally sat down. It's embarrassing to think about. Wrote out a pro, pros and cons list. I'd hate for her to have seen that. And, uh, but the thing that was interesting is later on, later on, when I met Adrian, I never even thought about a list. It was crystal clear, that decision. I was like, man, this is, this is a no-brainer. Like, she's the one God's designed for me, and I'm so thankful for that decision. But the reason I bring that up is because I get this picture of, of Paul just kind of sitting through. He's already brought up the topic of life and death, and he starts kind of thinking through which of those is better. Is life better? He starts to see what we pointed out in the la- last section, that it's a no-lose situation. He's like, well, to live, that means fruitful labor. And that means bearing fruit. He says, but to die, that's to be with Christ. He's going through this decision. He's like, either one is good. Either one of these is a great option. But I love that he comes to a conclusion, and hopefully this is a conclusion you'd come to also. It says, being with Christ is, what does it say? Far better. Far better. He says, this isn't even a toss-up. This isn't even a tough one. Obviously, being with Christ is far better. And this is what I would wrestle through with us as a church. If we were to ask that same question, would we come to that same conclusion? Or are we still a little too enamored with the things of this world? Are we still a little too enamored? Or are we still kind of like, I don't know, I kind of like this part of life. I don't know, I kind of like this, I kind of like this. I propose if our answer is not being with Christ is far better, then we have too small of a view of Jesus Christ and what eternity is going to look like. Too small of a view. You see, Paul saw, because of his faithfulness, he saw the bigger picture. He's like, oh, are you kidding me? It would be way better to be with Jesus Christ. All the things of this world are going to be considered lame sauce compared to being with Jesus Christ. Completely lame. And he saw that bigger picture. So he says, man, I'm wrestling through this. But look at his conclusion. Even though he realized that it was far better to be with Christ, he also realized that he needed to keep faithfully serving here on earth. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He realized that there was still work to be done. He recognized that, hey, this isn't just, this life isn't just about me and my desires and my preferences that I get to exit early. No, you're needed here because why? Because we have a message that we carry that the world is desperate for. 
It's necessary. We talked about this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about evangelism. It's necessary for others that we stick around. So he's pointing that, that out like, man, it would be nice to go. It was obviously going to be better, but it's necessary that I'm here to continue serving. We're saved to serve. So that's why we just keep on going and, and plugging away at this. Look at verse 25. Convinced of this, convinced of what? Convinced that it's better that he sticks around. It says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Look at what he says there. He says, I know that I will remain and continue. Remain and continue. Here's what I'd suggest. Is I'd suggest we've got the remain thing down pretty well. We've got the remain thing. That means just kind of chilling out, the waiting part, the remain. It's the continue piece that I would suggest we struggle with. Remain and continue. The remain thing is, is like, man, I'm just here kind of waiting for Christ to return and just kind of on autopilot. But the continue piece is the hard part. That's the elevating of other people's needs before my own. Look at what he suggests that we're here to do. He's saying, so that I may uh, have ample cause that, that in me you have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. That you progress in joy and faith. We often in this text point to our partnership in the gospel, and that's an important piece of why we remain. But he also keeps us around for what? To help other people progress in their walks with Christ. I wonder for you, who you're around, that he's uniquely placed you around to be like, hey, I'm the only person that's here in position to help that person progress in their walk, in their joy with Jesus Christ. Maybe it's even within your own family. You're here because you're designed. You're the one uniquely gifted and positioned to help that person progress in their joy, in their walk with Christ. Who is that in your circle of influence? Bring it to mind right now. Who is that person? Who's he left you around with that that only you can uniquely help progress in their walk with Christ? That's part of the thing that we're supposed to find joy in, moving people along. So he points to the fact that we're expected to keep on going and and growing. Next section, 27, he points out that in that, it's not just growth of others, but our own growth. It says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. First statement there, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. That's a pretty daunting statement if you think about it. Let your, let your way you live be worthy of the gospel. In other words, worthy of the sacrifice that was made on your behalf. When I read that, I'm like, man... I don't know, that's a, that's a pretty weighty responsibility of making sure that my life is, is worthy. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. But what I'd suggest in the remainder of that section is that this type or this manner of living is a byproduct of faithfulness. Look at the picture that he paints of this in the text. Somebody that's faithful, they stand firm. They stand firm. How are you doing with that? That's, that's a, when you're standing firm, that's living in the manner that's, that's uh, a manner of the, worthy of the gospel. 
Standing firm, I don't know what that looks like in your life. I'd suggest maybe some healthy habits, staying connected to the vine, being in the word, being in prayer, being around other believers that sharpen you, standing firm. It says being of one mind and spirit. Uh, this idea of being working in, in unity with others, striving side by side. This picture of striving side by side demands that you're in community. Demands that you're in community. You can't show up at church once a month and be able to genuinely say, yes, I'm striving side by side with other believers. You're like, no, not really. Not really. Some things that we can do that are a part of faithfulness. Not frightened in anything. Think about that. We already talked about it because we're in a no-lose situation. All of these things are, t- are, are moving us towards aligning our life with our beliefs, moving in that direction. I like that it says in the last statement there, it says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. You just described opponents, those who are opposing you, but a clear sign to the world around us that we're different, that we're set apart, is our faithfulness, is our faithfulness. When someone starts looking at your life under a microscope and starts seeing like, oh man, he does stand firm. Man, he, he is committed. Oh, he, he is walking the walk. Oh, he is partnering with other believers. They start to look at that and they take notice. There's a, a lady in our church this week that was in a conversation with a gentleman she had just met at Starbucks and just talking with, with him. She had an opportunity to just lay out the, just this Starbucks right up the street, got to lay out the gospel, encourage him, point him to the, uh, the, the hope that's only found in Jesus Christ. And at the end of the conversation, she said, you know what? I think I could, I could better help explain some of this if I, if I brought you over to my church and had you talk with my pastor. And so she literally drove him here in the middle of the afternoon to come, come and talk with me. I'm like, all right, that's cool. Uh, and, and so I'll stop uh, studying on faithfulness and actually be faithful. And, uh, and, and so had a great opportunity to talk with this gentleman. And the thing that caught my eye, from the, my attention from that conversation is what, she, what he said. He said, you know what? When I met her, there's something, something different about her. Something different that caused me, he was, it was actually his 93rd birthday. And he hopped in a car with a straight, strange woman. I was like, well, I don't know. I guess on your 93rd birthday, why not? And so, but, but, but here's, here's the thing. is so on, on, on his birthday, he came over and got to hear more about Jesus Christ. There's something that the outside world is drawn to if we're effectively being faithful. It's interesting, though, that it says this is clear sign to them of their destruction. Uh, you know, have you ever noticed the Bible's not real politically correct? Like, it would not work well being written in today's day and culture, you know? Like, you'll remind them of their destruction. But if you think about it, sometimes I wrestle through that political correctness. I don't know if you do. Start to think, you know what? If destruction was on the calendar for me at some point... And there is the potential to change that off of my calendar. Wouldn't you want somebody to tell you, right? So sometimes I think we're just so gentle and and sensitive that you're like, man, man, you you desperately need Jesus and you don't even realize it. What if we all of a sudden start to say, you know what, I'm more concerned about someone's eternity than political correctness. Your life aligns with your beliefs. But with that, verse 29, you've got to expect there's some suffering that comes with that. It says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer 
for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Interesting way that he concludes this little section here. The expectation of suffering. Look at the term that he uses to describe it. He says, for it has been granted to you. Granted, when you use that word, you normally associate, associate that with something being given to you that you like. This is basically saying, I have granted to you that you're going to get punched in the face. You're like, wait a second, uh, uh, I'd rather not have that granted to me. Like, uh, can, I, can I say no thank you? You see, suffering, if you think about it, is a trust exercise in our Father. A trust exercise in our Father that He knows even better than I know. Had this silly little thing this uh, last week. We're kind of in the, the era of kids losing teeth constantly. I feel like every other day there's like, oh yeah, I had another one pop out. I had another one. There's like teeth all over our house. It's gross. And, uh, and so my kids, and here's what happens with kids is you create this expectation early on that when they lose a tooth, they put it under their pillow, what do they get? They cash in, right? I'm like, man. I was like, who started this dumb tradition? Like, I have to pay my kid money every time they lose a tooth. And so, and so I had this thing with my, my uh, daughter, Alexa. So my youngest daughter, Sienna, she got at the beginning of the summer for her birthday these shoes called Heelys with wheels on them. Have you seen this? Probably even seen my daughter zipping around here with these crazy things. For sure an injury waiting to happen. But uh, my other daughter, Alexa, her birthday isn't till January. So she's been just like patiently waiting. She's like, oh. And she, we were at the, the airport the other day, and I was helping slide Sienna with these wheels. And she goes to me, Dad, do you know how hard it is for me to watch her do that? I was like, oh. And so, so I started going on eBay to find some gently used ones because they're kind of overpriced. And so I finally found a pair that I bought for her, and she didn't know about it. So when it, she lost her tooth, I was like, oh, this is perfect. I said, Alexa, I'm going to give you a choice. You can either have $3 under your pillow. That's a known commodity. Like, you know, you can cash in for that tooth you lost. Or you can have what's un- behind door number two. That's a surprise from your father. You have no idea. You're going to have to trust me. Oh, man, this was inner turmoil for her. She could not decide. She's going back and forth. Well, do I, do I cash in with the three bucks? That's a guarantee. But, or do I trust my dad? She even asked me. She said, well, dad, and this was smarter of her. She's like, if you were me, which one would you do? I'm like, all right, all right. I, I said, I, I would go with a surprise from your dad because you know he's a good guy. And, and so she finally, after much like, turmoil, she finally decided, I'm going with the with the unknown. I'm going with the surprise. Man, on Friday afternoon after school stuff and she gets home, she sees these gleaming used shoes. And, uh, and, uh, and, so, and so they're really barely worn. Uh, and so, so she, she gets them and she was so glad she took a risk on the unknown. And really, I tell that story. It's a long one. But the reason I tell that is because that's the same thing he's saying. Take the risk on the unknown of boldly sharing your faith and see if you're not blown away with how your Father provides. 
It's going to seem like suffering. It's going to seem like kind of a bummer. It's going to seem the, the unknown is scary. But man, the payout on the other side is going to be worth it. And let's be clear, the suffering that he's talking about there is not just some of the junk that happens in our life, some of the hard stuff, the health stuff, the uh, loss of job stuff. He's not talking about that. He's clearly, because look at the text, he says that, that uh, of Christ should, I'm sorry, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. He's pointing to this conflict that comes from boldly proclaiming Christ. There's a conflict that comes from, and he's saying, I, I've had it. I used to have it. It's, it's one of those reoccurring things in history. Now, I get a little pushback from sometimes people that were like, yeah, but we're kind of living in a day and age where there's freedom, where, where we have the freedom of speech, and there's not really, there's not really uh, uh, opposition to the gospel. My question is, really? Really? Do you, do, you, do you feel like you can just boldly proclaim Christ and not receive any opposition? Do you feel like that? Could, could you effectively this week go into your workplace and just boldly proclaim Christ to everybody without looking like a, a wacko, without being considered a little bit weird at your high school? Or, or maybe, or maybe we've just gotten really good at not taking any risks that put us in the position to look weird, to be pushed back against, to be ostracized. I think we're completely missing it when we think that we're just called to just blend in nicely and everybody think we're great and, and align perfectly with our culture and be sensitive and kind of covert. Yeah, maybe we're called to be innocent as doves and wise as serpents. Yeah, I get that. But I'm not sure. Every time I see Scripture talk about how we interact with the world, I see it pointed to being opposition be suffering, to be ridiculed, to be mocked, because that's what happened to Jesus. That's what happened to Paul. That's what happened with, really, if you think through history, anybody that's boldly stood up for Jesus Christ. So that's where he pushes us a little bit to expect suffering, but not be surprised that it's going to be kind of drawing the line in the sand. I was talking to a, a believer recently that he was, he was sharing with me. He's like, man, I was wandering from the Lord for a long time, but I, I finally, I made the choice. He said, I he said, I, could, I realize that there's, we're fast approaching a day where there's going to be a line drawn in the sand and we're going to have to decide which side of that line we're on. And that made me, pushed me back to Jesus Christ. Interesting. Interesting. Anybody else watch the news or observe our culture and wonder if that, that, lot, that day of the line is coming sooner and sooner and faster and faster? I don't know. That's what he said. That's what he's pointing to. Listen, we're going to expect opposition, expect suffering, but the reason you can have hope, the reason you can have joy is because you know what's on the other end of the line and you know who's on the other end of the line. The Father that loves you and has your best interest in mind. I'll close with this story because when I was reading this passage, and this picture of joy, joy and faithfulness, that whole idea. I got this, this, this statement or, or vision of, of whistling while you work. 
whistle. Have you guys heard that expression before? You ever known somebody that actually does that, whistles while they, they work? My, my grandfather growing up was really good with his hands. He lived in Philadelphia. He was the head of a uh, facility and repair for a, a hospital. So he oversaw that for a hospital in Philadelphia his entire career. He could fix and do anything. Well, kind of in his later years, it was kind of tough to see because he had gotten cataracts. And uh, in his cataracts, they didn't catch early enough, so he lost sight in one eye and about probably 75, 80% of sight in the other eye. So he spent his remaining years of life just barely seeing things out of one eye, just a small man. But that, that didn't change anything as far as fixing things. He would show up at our house in Chicago, and anything that needed work on, he's like, all right, all right I'm game. He'd, he'd take on little projects. He came there. And we, had, we have these things in the Midwest, they're called basements. Have you guys heard of those? It's a, this thing real unique to the Midwest. Well, he saw ours was an unfinished basement, meaning that it hadn't been done up, it, it didn't have like drywall, didn't have a drop ceiling, any of that stuff. So he said, you know what, I think I, I, I'm going to take that on and I'm, I'm gonna, we'll, we'll finish your basement. I'm like, what in the, the world? you got one eye that's working, you can barely see out of that. The thing that I remember as a kid, I was even talking to my dad about that. He's like, oh, you remember that he did that? I, re- I remember I'd be sitting at the top of the stairs and hear down coming from the basement <laughs> whistling while he worked. While he's working, doing like manual labor, put, putting in the work behind the scenes. He was whistling while he worked. I was like, isn't that the picture of what we're called to in Jesus Christ? And just, just whistling as we, as we hammer the nail, as we carry the, the, this, as we do that, as we serve in this capacity, as we faithfully proclaim Christ, whistle, finding joy in faithfulness. I think that's the picture Paul had for the church, and I think that's the picture Christ has for us individually, that we'd whistle while we work. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for this text Kind of a unique section whenever you see somebody wrestling through, is it better to stick around or is it better to go? But we see the reason why he needed to stick around is because there's work to do. There's faithfulness to be had. God, I pray for us as a church that we would be known collectively and individually as faithful servants. And as a product of that, that we'd start to see things through the perspective that Paul did in his faithfulness, that we're in a no-lose situation, that we're, we're, we're going to be delivered, that on the other side of this, things get really, really good for us. God, I pray that you do a work in us that only you can do, that you'd spur us on, that we'd be lifting each other up in prayer, that we'd be dependent on the Spirit. We need you for this. You're the source of our faithfulness. You invite us to faithfulness, but you're also the source of our faithfulness. God, I pray that we would make the choice, even this morning, that this could even be a catalyst, the nudge that's needed to move more towards a a life of of boldly sharing Christ with people, that we'd be investing in other people, that we wouldn't be living for ourselves and the things that we can gain here on earth. We'd be other-centered, God. That's what you invite us to. God, we thank you again for your word. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.